0: When you're labeled by Forbes as a billion dollar startup, the expectations are set pretty high. But for True Pill president and co-founder Sid Viswanathan, the goal was never about earning accolades. It was about re-energizing and modernizing an aging healthcare system.
1: As consumers, we all live in a world today that's driven by you can order something on your phone and it shows up in that same hour or that following day. And behind the scenes that's been really hard to do in healthcare because of all the different interconnected dependencies and all the complexities of our healthcare system in america and i think for us it was really important to simplify that because at the end of the day the consumer cares about getting their medication on time or getting that lab test in their home and so it was critical for us to make sure that we built our entire infrastructure with that consumer in mind
0: the journey from the idea of simplifying the healthcare system to being an established startup, doing that and more wasn't an easy one, but Sid knew it wouldn't be. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Sid discusses how his first entrepreneurial adventure helped pave the way for TruePill. And he explains why the healthcare industry has been so slow to implement new technology. Plus he reveals that oftentimes you might not know your company's true mission until a few years down the road. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org.
2: Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have Sid Vishwanathan. He's the co-founder and president of TruePill. And TruePill, this is one of the more exciting companies. I feel like this in the market. I'm personally, my background is in health sciences before I got into podcasting, but I'm very much interested in the health outcomes of everybody. Sid, welcome to the show.
1: Albert, thank you so much for having me.
2: All right. So I'm going to get right to it. So TruePill, I read the literature but I want to read exactly what you're saying on your website and I want you to explain what this means. Okay. It says on your website, you are building the future of healthcare and you want to empower partners to deliver world-class patient experiences through your API connected healthcare infrastructure. What does that mean?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So TruePill is is, is a digital health platform and there's three things that we bring together in the market. Those three things are pharmacy, diagnostics, and telehealth. So when you break those down, We can break it down to things that we're all familiar with. Pharmacy means we're getting medication shipped to your door. The telehealth piece is the ability to connect with a doctor online through the comfort of your home, on your phone, or your telephone. And then three is diagnostics. And so when we bring those three pillars of our platform together, that's when we like to say the magic at TruePill really happens. And the best way to describe it is still, you know, what does this all mean? We launched a program this year that that we're really proud of, in fact, is one that launched last quarter. It was with a major health plan and United healthcare group. And we launched a a really unique flu COVID program to the market. And when you think about this from a, from a macro standpoint, for the first time ever, we're about to enter a season in in the flu season where we're going to get symptoms. And we're not going to know the difference between whether you're dealing with flu symptoms or COVID symptoms. And this program that we launched with UHG, we're bringing a product to market for 300,000 senior citizens where we're combining every aspect of of our platform. And that includes the telehealth piece where you can talk to a doctor online. It's got a COVID test as part of the bundle, which is the diagnostics component of our business. And it's also got some flu medication. And so the the intent of the program is when our senior citizens, our most at-risk patients, they experience symptoms this flu season, they can pick up the phone, call one of our doctors on our platform, and that doctor can help them understand whether they should be taking that COVID test or that flu medication, for example. And that's really where you start to see the vision of what Truepill is doing, bringing these three things together. So let's walk through the technical integrations
2: that that makes this true, right? And I think what you guys are doing is amazing. By the way, I'm going to also talk about my telehealth example uh, a little bit later because I had one recently, but (laughs) (laughs) let's go through this. So you talk about API-empowered infrastructure, right? And so... In my mind, that means you're connecting these three platforms, the pharmacy, the diagnostic, the telehealth. But are you also providing the software that enables, let's say, a pharmacy? Like are you producing a front-end interface of some sort for like a let's say a pharmacist or a doctor who wants to do telehealth? Are you providing the application infrastructure for them to become an available provider through telehealth? Or is it you are connecting other existing telehealth providers so that they can use your API infrastructure to communicate diagnostics and pharmacy, or are you doing both?
1: I think the mark of any great platform is is having the flexibility to serve all those use cases that you just described. And so for us, when you think about infrastructure, we always break it down into two parts. There's certainly the the software infrastructure, which is, as you described, the APIs, as well as the front-end interfaces, as well as the physical infrastructure. These are the actual pharmacies that are shipping thousands of medications out to 50 states, or the actual doctors providing the consult. And so for us in our platform, bringing that together is key to kind of what we do in the market. And when you talk about the actual front-end experiences, yes, we've built, had to build a lot of these from scratch. And I think this is really a, a symbol of where we're heading as a company. What we realized when we entered the market three or four years ago is some of the software out there wasn't designed for this new wave of consumerization. So we really had to think about rebuilding our infrastructure from scratch, whether it was our pharmacy operating system, or even our EMR platform. When you look at the, the current state of EMRs in the, in the market today, yes, many of them are retrofitting into supporting telehealth, but they're not built with just telehealth in mind. Everything out there in the market is designed for in-person healthcare. And that wasn't consistent with what we were bringing to market. So it forced us to go back to the drawing board and build a lot of our assets from scratch, as we built our platform.
2: So let's, for the people that are having a, maybe a difficult time conceptualizing this, let's imagine I'm a pharmacy, just a pharmacy. I don't have, I'm not connected to doctors or I am through their existing tools. And I'm connected to diagnostic labs, potentially if their doctor's working there, maybe not. So if I'm a, just a pharmacy and that's all I want to be, but I wanted to, let's say, ship, fulfill medications through TruePill, you have a way for me to plug into your system so that I become an available option. But if I did have more systems, and let's say I was a diagnostics lab, which I wanted to communicate and provide maybe front-end interface with, uh, I have my existing systems, but I want to plug into your network so that I'm available as a diagnostics provider, I could do that as well. You're handling basically any setup the, one of those three organizations has, you want to be able to plug into TruePill.
1: That's 100% correct. And we want to take away all those complex pieces from a regulatory and compliance standpoint. We just want to be able to give it to you out of the box. And I think as consumers, we all live in a world today that's driven by, you can order something on your phone and it shows up in that same hour or, or that following day. And behind the scenes, that's been really hard to do in healthcare because of all the different interconnected dependencies and all the complexities of our healthcare system in America. And I think for us, it was, it was really important to, to simplify that because at the end of the day, the consumer cares about getting their medication on time or getting that lab test in their home. And so it was critical for us to make sure that we built, the, built our entire infrastructure with that consumer in mind. And this comes down to like every last detail of when medication is pulled off our shelves in one of our pharmacies, or a pharmacist is scanning that medication to verify it, or a shipping label is printed... We tell our partners exactly every single one of those events in time, and it's up to them how they decide to communicate to a consumer where their order is in the life cycle of the process. So what we like to say is we'll give you, we'll make it feel like you own and operate your own pharmacy down to every last touch point, but you don't actually have to do it. And you don't have to build that infrastructure out yourselves.
2: So let's walk back to when you first, let's say earlier stages, even pre, before you got started. I think as a consumer or a patient, however you, want, however you want to address us, we've all been there where it's a painful experience. You go to one, let's say, doctor's office who then has to communicate with another, and then you're left organizing this communication, possibly moving paperwork around. Then they tell you to go get a test somewhere. You got to go get a test somewhere. You go do that. And then maybe you go to the pharmacy and you go pick up your medication. But along the way, you're moving paper, like actual physical paper around like, here, here's your paper. You got to take it to this person or you got to go back to the other lab. Why was it so hard? I mean, I guess it still is for people that are not plugged in the truth pill. This is still a very hard thing. Why is it still so hard to move this information around? What is it based on government regulation? Is it, it's, it can't be, like you said, it can't be just a technology limitation because we know information flows easily now. Is it because of government restrictions? Is it because these are legacy systems? Is it because they're just so disparate? Like what, when your perspective was causing this friction and obviously gave you the opportunity, the ability to see like, okay, there's an opportunity here if we can connect these things.
1: I think it begins when you start to look under the hood of the state of technology in healthcare today. And I'll give you a simple example today because you touched on, I think, so many things in there, Albert, between diagnostics and, and pharmacy and your doctor and all those different touch points that create the complexity for the consumer. But today, as, as a consumer, you have the ability to fill your prescription at any pharmacy in the country that you choose. That's, that's your right. And the method to get your prescription from your existing pharmacy, say it's a Rite Aid, Walgreens, or CVS, to get that from your existing pharmacy on the corner street where you live, to use one of a mail order option like a TruePill, for example. The entire system of transferring a prescription is built on the concept of a fax machine. And today in this country, <laughs> there are millions and millions of prescriptions that are transferred by a fax. And yes, this basic question of how can we be in 2020? And, and literally, there are days I feel like the entire healthcare industry or the, the fax machine industry rather is, is is stood up by the healthcare industry. And it's it's crazy the number <laughs> of faxes that still go through. And the reason for that is you can build all the great tech on your side, but at the end of the day, when you're communicating with that Rite Aid, Walgreens, they expect you to fax them to say, Hey, can you send me Albert's prescription? That's the why, method today.
2: I got to ask, why is it? Cause that's when you say that it's true. It's mind boggling. Like it's. I mean, I agree. It's almost like the fax machine industry is lobbying with the medical industry, to make sure that this exists. Why? What is the reasoning? Whether it's logical or not, what is the reasoning why fax is the preferred method of receiving a pharmaceutical order?
1: I think there's two main reasons. I think number one is. In healthcare, the adoption of new technology has been extremely slow. I could tell you that there's been a protocol for transfer of prescriptions that's been defined by the NCPDP and adopted by Shorescripts, for example, and other vendors that has just not gone out into the market fast enough. These standards get written and you sit back and you look five years later and you understand, well, why has nobody adopted the standard? No one has picked it up. And I think this gets you to the second reason that there haven't been real incentives to do so. When you think about... Uh, what a transfer of a prescription entails. It entails taking business out of your company and sending it somewhere else. And they're incentivized to make it as difficult as possible for you. So I think those two reasons create a system where it's designed against that consumer. And that's what, as a platform company, when we bring all these verticals together, and it's where I go back to saying you build with that consumer in mind, these are the types of problems you can solve because we're not thinking about, well, oh, I can't fill this prescription here. I need to move it out. I'm losing business. Those considerations are gone when you put that consumer at the center.
2: So talk to me about coming up with the idea that this is, the, this is the, what you want to pursue. Because prior to this, you had, you, know, you had an acquisition event with a product that you had created. You were working at LinkedIn as a product manager. Uh, you did have a history of health back at uh, J&J. You had spent some time there. Tell me about the, the genesis of TruePill. Was it a personal experience or what caused you to create this, uh, this business? I think
1: you have to go way back to even how I got into technology to begin with. And and I think this was back in uh, 2008 when I, when I first got started in tech, I was two years out of college. I'd worked in the healthcare industry for a couple of years and, and realized at that point that maybe I had made a mistake and picked the wrong degree in college. And and you can't go back in time and redo four (laughs) years of college. Yeah. And I was trying to find a job in tech and realized that this is where the energy and excitement and speed of innovation was happening. And, And I couldn't get a job in the tech industry. Nobody would give a mechanical engineer a job in tech because it was predominantly software engineers or computer engineers. And I think that forced me down the path in in 2008 to think about, well, how am I gonna break into the tech sector? And that really led to the start of my first company. And I think the the second big sort of career changing moment for me came when we met our first investor in in Manu Kumar. And I'll never remember this because I think as, as founders, you'll always remember that first check you got in. And, and Manu Kumar, when he wrote us that first check into my first company, it came with an ultimatum. It came with a condition. And that condition was, if I'm investing in you guys, you have to build the entire product and a platform yourself. No contractors, no outsourcing, no dev shops. And that's really how I, I got into tech. Is that, is that that's card munch? That's card munch. That's right.
2: So you're here. You're you've you've dabbled in it a little bit. You start seeing software is the is the future or where I want to be. You meet an investor, but why did? Let me ask you a question. When you look back in that moment of time, why do you think that investor said that they would he would give you the chance that if you build it all yourself, because you had talked about how no one would give you a chance? What do you think he saw in car, whether it's Cardmunch or your future vision? Were you sharing ideas beyond what Cardmunch could do?
1: I think there was a shared vision there for sure. And, and hopefully there was some, some belief in us as founders that, that we could pull it off. And as any prudent investor will tell you that one of your biggest costs in the early days of a startup is, is the cost to build your product. And so if you can build your product yourself, then you become... That just extends your runway and that gives you a chance to build longer because you're, you're taking hopefully lower salaries when you get started and you don't have to take on that, that high development cost. So I think it was, it was very prudent and really eye-opening for us that... As a founding team, if you can build every aspect of your product end to end, that is critical to a, a strong foundation for, for getting a company started.
2: So then did you teach yourself
1: how to code at that time? I did. So I, I was very much self-taught and and it was we were forced to figure that out. Um, I'd say my co-founder knew a lot more than I did. So I got a chance to learn from him and we worked in this... Uh, co-working space. It wasn't, co- it wasn't even called co-working space in 2008, but there was another startup next to us. And so we would bother them and ask them basic questions on how to build parts of our app. And uh, we just pieced it together. Yeah, we might've been a little slower, but uh, we figured it out and we got our first product out within the first uh,
2: six months. That's pretty impressive. Six months to have a... How would you grade your product now that you look back on it?
1: <laughs> oh, I wouldn't give it a passing grade today. It's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, software has changed so much. But I think for, for the time and in 2008, you have to put into perspective 2009, when we probably first launched the product, the App Store had only been around for about two years. The, the concept of apps in the App Store were, were relatively new and, and we were able to gain traction pretty quickly when there weren't as many apps as there are today on the App
2: Stores. So there you go. So now you've been, you know, fast forward a couple of years, you've been acquired by LinkedIn. I feel like your career is pretty good. You're now a little bit removed or you, you talked about how you originally shortly after graduating, you would spend some time in the healthcare industry and like, Hey, this is very fascinating to me, but now you're, you know, a couple of years removed. You've had a lot of success. What pulled you back?
1: As a founder, you get that itch again. It's inevitable. It's whether it's a year or two years or five years later, you're going to get that That drive to go back to the drawing board and start something again. And so when I left LinkedIn in 2014, that was really all I knew that I want to start something again. I didn't have any clue what space or what domain it was going to be in. And I spent probably close to a year just experimenting with a number of different ideas and in different industries. Um, I joke around with some friends that it it felt like it it was sort of flavor of the week. What industry are you going to research this week? And it was an exhausting (laughs) process where you would go down... Every step of, of the process to try to understand what problems might exist, and I got fortunate in 2015 that, that I stumbled into Omar as I was beginning to research and learn about the, the pharmacy space. And I think in meeting Omar, he was truly a domain expert in, in the pharmacy area, and that gave me a chance to, I think ask a lot of those dumb questions in those beginning days of when you're getting started, you need someone like that to be able to bounce your questions off of, and I probably asked him thousands and thousands of questions over a span of months but Getting through that first phase of learning about an industry, understanding the pain points, understanding the problems, and then peeking underneath the hood to take a look at the tech stack and saying, oh, my God, what have I just like found here? Uh, that was really the, the, the founding story of, of how we got together as in the early days of TruePill.
2: So I think... I think it was Aaron Levy who talked about like if you want a successful company there's no, or a good idea for product, there's no better way or place to go look than the slowest, stodgiest, slow-moving enterprise thing you can think of because that's where all the problems are. And the healthcare industry is, as you already mentioned, it's notorious for being highly regulatory, uh, lots of privacy security issues. You already mentioned limited technology. You might have it on one side, but then you need your recipient side to also be on par with technology. Otherwise, like you said, they don't take orders via API. They take orders via fax. What are you going to do about this? So when you started peeling back the layers of the pains that are in the medical ecosystem, did you view that as an opportunity at first or were you a little bit scared? Because I... I know that there are certain founders, for example, they go witness the regulatory things that potentially are there, and they they just get scared. They don't want to deal with it, and that, I think that's partially also. I think that's why medicine and insurance and finance are also slower to evolve. You know,
1: well, I think it helps to be naive when you're getting started. That, that really what uh, fends <laughs> off the fear because you have no idea what you're about to step into. And so, I think for us getting started, I 100% agree with that statement. That I always like to say that find me an unsexy problem or an unsexy industry, and I'll show you a really good business. And, and for healthcare, there's, there's just so much underneath the hood that when you begin to peel back the layers, you start to realize that some of the basic concepts of an API or a RESTful API is, is transformative in healthcare. And I think we benefited certainly from the fact that on the flip side of our platform, we never had the vision of going directly after consumers. That was not part of our go-to-market thesis we benefited from really innovative healthcare companies doing really groundbreaking things when it came to telehealth and combining telehealth with pharmacy that became really our first customers. And these customers, they looked very much like tech companies. They were tech savvy businesses fueled with a number of engineers that when you came to them and said, hey, we've got an API for pharmacy, their response is not tell me about compliance and tell me how it works and all the details are like, can I see the API docs? And that's a hugely refreshing take on healthcare when your customer comes to you and says, well, can I see your API docs? And I think that leads to even today, I think we're one of the only healthcare companies that publicly lists our API docs because we think it's central to unlocking this clean, concise consumer experience. We don't have to agree on that tech protocol, but at least we can start by documenting our view of of how it should be done.
2: Was that a strategic decision that you made to reveal or make very clear what the API documentation could do? Uh, Was it something you stumbled into or was it like a conscious decision to open that up?
1: I think it was probably a little bit of of both, a little bit of a strategic decision as as well as a a little bit of an aspirational one. When you look across many of the industries or the role model companies and and you take, for example, companies that have revolutionized their respective industries, you can look at Shopify and what it's done in the e-commerce space or or Stripe in terms of what it's done in in the payment sector. And you ask this like fundamental question of, why has nobody built a platform company in healthcare? And and more importantly, what what will it take for us to be that first of its kind platform company? And you look at all our peers, our role model companies that we look up to and and API docs were were central to that. And it it just made obvious sense for us to say, okay, well, we're not following healthcare companies in our industry. We're going to follow the stripes of the world. We're going to follow the Twilio's of the world to define what our standards should look like in healthcare.
2: So you mentioned before that you have three pillars today. What were, were you focusing on all three pillars back at the start?
1: Not at all. We, we actually got started with Justin Pharmacy and, and Omar being a pharmacist and myself being a software engineer, that's really the, the root of where we got started as a company. But I think most founders don't realize this is that every company has many different founding moments and you don't really understand the vision or the breadth of your platform or your vision until you've spent at least two or three years diving into it. And for us, it, it was a very natural evolution to go from pharmacy as the starting point to then branch into telehealth and, and now into diagnostics. So that was a, a very gradual evolution of the business as well as the evolution of the entire market when we realized that for us to bring all three pillars together, not only would that further differentiate us as a platform company, but when you look across the industry today, there's no companies in healthcare that bring all three components together together through a unified set of APIs and and technology driving all of it. And so for us, that was uh, very key to our thesis, but we didn't have it on day one. We knew that pharmacy experience was broken and we needed to help our customers reinvent how they wanted to do it. And from there evolved our vision to include telehealth and diagnostics.
2: So you, you mentioned it earlier that there was a bit of, you know, being naive, not knowing exactly what was under the hood. Tell me about, so one of the things that people in tech... I and mean, developers specifically, they always, I always like talking about is the first roadblock, right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. that usually is the, like the stage. What was the first big roadblock in code, in technical, like your actual technical limitation when you were trying to, let's say, build something or connect something <laughs> where you're like, oh man, this is a big problem. How did you approach it? And, and ultimately what led to your solution?
1: So let's see, I got to go back to 2015 when I was actually writing a lot of the code myself and I think the first thing I remember is, is trying to understand how the entire claims process today, when you go into a pharmacy and you give that pharmacist your insurance card and they come back to you and say, Albert, your copay is $10. Right. Well, there's so many different things that happen behind the scenes to make that a reality to even figure out what your copay is, which is mind boggling to me because we live in this like e-commerce world where you go to a webpage and it tells you what, what the price of what you're about to buy is. But think about this for a second in healthcare you can't know, you don't know what the cost of your drug is until a pharmacy runs a bunch of steps to tell you that your copay was $10. And I think that first, I don't know if it was a roadblock or just like an eye-opening moment for me to just understand all the different pathways of, of what it took to in our industry is called adjudicating a claim. And looking at the underlying architecture to do that, I was expecting RESTful APIs. And I go back to this is where I think something even as simple as APIs and REST was like revolutionary for our industry. And I looked under the hood and it was like these archaic socket connections that I had never worked with before. <laughs> you don't learn this when you, when you pick up your first like Ruby on Rails book and you're like, build your first website, they don't tell you like, Hey, by the way, uh, you're using modern connections. And if you need to try sockets, here's what you need to do. No, there's no book that tells you about sockets and modern uh, web infrastructure, or building web uh, technologies. And so you got to go back and learn like, okay, I got to figure out how to establish a socket connection. And wait a second, I got to time out this socket connection. Like, For people that have worked in Sockets, this may seem like normal building blocks, but for someone who had never done it before, it was was new and it was eye-opening to see where we were getting started from in terms of if we have to build this future of really clean APIs, we're going to have to piece together and obfuscate all this complexity and mess under the hood that in many ways was just archaic.
2: So this is... I remember when I used to work on ERP integrations, I remember we were working... I won't name the state, but it was a government... Implementation and they were, we were using like a big ERP system, but it was an older version. And he made a statement that I just remember for the rest of my life, which was like, I want off this project. And I said, Why? I was like, We're paying you, you know, it's a great project. He goes, Every day I'm here, I'm learning less. I'm getting dumber. Like, I'm reverse. I have to reverse figure out old systems and ERPs when the more modern version isn't written like this anymore. Like, I'm literally getting dumber. Every day I spend on this project, I know less about what companies are using tomorrow. And I was like, dang, like, I've never thought about it like that. Did you feel like that at that point where you're like, I'm learning sockets. I should be learning something, you know, much more exciting. Or did you just view it as this is the next step to solve this problem?
1: I think I saw it as as the biggest opportunity for the company. And and it was this realization that if you bring modern tech to something that was so archaic, that is the opportunity that Trupal presents. And if anyone, if everyone else had solved it, then it wouldn't be a really interesting problem to solve from a, from a platform standpoint. And so I think for us, it was, yeah, it's discouraging to have to work on, I guess what you describe as boring tech, or archaic yeah. tech. But for me, taking that boring and archaic tech and bringing it into a modern world, which is reflected in our APIs that we hopefully continue invest into and continue to refine, that's the promise of TruePill that you don't have to worry about all that old clunky stuff underneath the hood that pieces together all sorts of legacy protocols and legacy systems. Instead, you make one API call and a lap test shows up at your home. And that's, I think, the promise of what we do. And, and frankly, that's what motivates us as a company is, is look underneath the hood for all the hard problems that still exist in the healthcare industry. And I think that's one thing about healthcare that is that is so expansive is that you can make such a small dent in healthcare and it can impact so many millions of patients and have a massive impact on them. And I think that's what keeps us motivated and excited is, is you keep, it's this feeling of like, you're turning over one rock at a time. And I actually don't know how many rocks there are left, but I keep turning them over every single day. And, you know, hopefully every single year that mounts to, to something where we can look back and say, yeah, we've made a dent on healthcare by uncovering and turning over every single rock that we've come across.
2: Now there's endless problems. So you're never going to, you're, you're never going to run out of problems to solve here. I think you're heading in. The, if that's what you're looking for, for sure you're in the right industry. So I worked, I've worked on apps that were, let's say non-critical. I'll use social media publishing. Right. So I remember you know, we would ask each other, like, like it was a real serious and grave thing. Oh, do you, did the post post, you know, as if that was the hugest deal that matters. Now to our customers, it mattered a lot that the post posts. But in your case, when you're talking about filling pharmaceutical prescriptions, I mean, you send the wrong thing. You could kill somebody. How confident, like what levels of, was what was the atmosphere like, I guess, around accuracy, precision, like how precise this data has to be. Like it cannot mess up like the, you know, obviously, you can't mess up. You you cannot send someone the wrong prescription; it could be fatal. What levels of investment were you putting into, like, let's say, QA control tests? Like, how are you guys envisioning that when you first start breaking ground or getting customers on platform?
1: That's one of the hardest problems we we still face as a company is, is how do we create this culture of being able to innovate quickly? And then you've heard the Facebook mindset of like break things and keep going, move fast, break things. That doesn't work in healthcare. (laughs) You you cannot do that in healthcare, right? As as you pointed (laughs) out, lives are at stake. So you can't do that, but you still want to create an environment where our engineers and our, and our, our product folks, we're innovating and we're designing new things every single day in our platform. So I think it comes from one of our pillars as a company has been compliance from the very beginning and making sure that compliance and integrity of everything that we do from a healthcare standpoint is maintained. And that's, it goes back to this this founding premise of we're going to solve all the, the compliance and regulatory pieces so you don't have to, but that means we actually have to take it seriously and, and make sure that it's core and central. And so when you design your systems and you design your technology, you begin to understand what are points or what are pathways in your code where this does have an impact to an end consumer or an end patient. And when you get to steps like in the pharmacy world, PV1 or PV2, where you're actually verifying the medication, you begin to layer technology as well as the the human component. And I think that's one part that's really important in healthcare is that you're never going to automate everything. You're never going to remove the required by law manual steps in the process because those those steps are designed specifically for what you just pointed out is, is protecting the safety of that consumer. And that's where we, we build our systems with every step in mind of when a human is involved, whether it's a pharmacist or a pharmacist technician, and, and, and checking every single step of the way. So when you look at a product or a medication coming from our shelves to leaving one of our facilities, there's probably 15 or so checkpoints, some of which are technology and many of which are, are human checkpoints to make sure that that medication is the right medication, it's the right dosing, it's the right directions going to the right patients. And, and that's paramount for anyone getting into the pharmacy. And that's uh, definitely the case for us as well.
2: So a lot of effort put placed upon the quality control, a lot of effort making sure the precision, the accuracy. Let me ask you, TruePill, you have open APIs. So developers are constantly writing applications to be used in the TruePill ecosystem. Is that accurate?
1: Partially. Yeah, for sure. I'd say... Uh, we have evolved with different types of customers. Our first phase of customers have been super innovative and, and directly integrate with our APIs. And now we're working with some of the largest institutions and payers where we have to build those front-end consumer experiences and dog food our own APIs. So I think it's evolved as our, as our business has scaled.
2: Do, do you envision a future where TruePill is going to be more like, I don't know, it sounds ridiculous, but maybe like the app store where individuals are writing apps to help whatever process they see as an opportunity inside the medical infrastructure ecosystem.
1: I think that's certainly a a pathway that I think we're heading down quickly. And and, and I describe it in, in a different way today in terms of we are fortunate that we work with some of the most amazing and innovative partners in the industry doing really innovative programs. But if you describe it in its point fashion, every single one of these companies that we work with is one solution in the market. It's it's a mental health company. It's a birth control company. It's a dermatology business. It's an HIV uh, prevention business. And all of these are different apps, if you will. If if I were to take your your app metaphor, these are all apps that today it's unclear what that app store looks like. And I think as we continue our vision for TruePill, whether it's the TruePill platform or whether it becomes some of the work that we're doing with some of the largest payers in, in the country, you have to remember that a lot of healthcare today is is still done through your plan beneficiary. So you work at a company, you get your primary health benefits from that employer, whether it's United Healthcare or another health plan. And so in this future vision of digital health, think about a world where your health plan or payer is bringing to market this concept of an app store for health, where yes, you can go see your traditional doctor, or you can use these online experiences that have all sorts of experiences that you don't get from your traditional provider setting. And I think that's a uh, you're teeing up sort of the, the pathway for, for TruePill and our mission and, and where we're heading as a company. Uh, we're going to start to see some of that consolidation in the in the market today.
2: I mean, that's the next pillar, right? Because you have pharmacy, you have diagnostic, you have telehealth. It sounds like you're already working down the path to the, the providers. Let me ask you a question. Do Because I'll i explain what I dream of, and then you tell me if this is going to be possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I always I always view like healthcare as I don't understand why there's a basically like global rates. You know, like there's like a rate for, oh, you're a family with three kids. This is your rate, especially when you're in a big company plan. They just bundle you in. Do you ever see healthcare plans being more individualized? Because you'll now have information on my checkup. You'll know what status I'm in. You'll know my medications I take, if I take any, maybe none, right? Yeah, You might know my diagnostics tests from, let's say I go just for general checkups, right? Or maybe I opt in, but I want to opt in like my health tests. I've always thought about this. Like, why can't I opt in my health tests? Like I'll run two miles to prove to you how fit I am or I'll lift whatever weight to prove you how fit I am. I'll offer my blood tests to prove how healthy I am in exchange for a better rate on medicine. Do you foresee that? Is that something you guys want to work toward? Do you think it'd be possible with what you guys are doing?
1: I think that's definitely a, a reality in, in the near future. And, and we've seen this across other industries, right? I think, there are insurance models in the market today where if you drive less, you get, to, you get to pay less for your car insurance and you can plug in a little device in your car that tells you that. And we're in this shift of, of consumer healthcare today where it's possible to do that with wearable devices and even looking at where some of the recent innovation has happened on something like the Apple Watch. It's all built all been around the, the health features and, and some of the things that you can now diagnose and tell you about your, your overall health. So I think we're certainly heading there, but we're also seeing it happen in, in sort of consumers making decisions on their own healthcare experiences. And, and we call it internally this concept of unbundling of primary care, where you don't go to your doctor for all your problems. You go to different solutions in the market that you know of to solve different areas of your health needs. And that's something that as consumers become more savvy, they're starting to realize that, why should I go pay a $40 copay for my doctor visit when I can go to this service online and get that same treatment and medication online for a fraction of the cost? And I think we've had, we don't need to get into all the details of high deductible health plans, but long story short here, consumers are getting a lot more savvy in understanding, should I be using my benefit design for for this and my health employer's benefit? Or should I be going, call it outside the plan design to pay for this out of pocket? And consumers are becoming extremely sophisticated in when they're making those decisions. And I think as, as a platform, we're starting to think about how do we now make it more transparent for that consumer to make that that switch between whether they need to do something on benefit or do something off benefit.
2: You brought up a great point about how there's more tracking devices now also for personal fitness. You get more consumers, more savvy. I mean, really, if you're going to be, I mean, I view, I view what you guys are doing as I call it rails. Um, So, like you talked about, Stripe is the payment rail. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're like, if you become the rail of healthcare, where information is flowing, then 100, percent it seems like you would open up to the devices. Then you got the, then you could potentially, I don't even know, like could you potentially have financial companies inside the TruePull platform that are like, hey, this is the best way to balance your plans, and this is the best way to balance your HDHP. I never even thought about that, like using data to help me make better judgments on what to spend my money on on my HSA, or how much should I sh- save my HSA to maximize my you know, my income over time. I feel like all these things are possible if all information is interconnected.
1: Uh, Well, look, I'll never say never on what the possibilities of the platform could be in the future. But I think right now there's just so much work to be done in those like basic building blocks of diagnostics, pharmacy, telehealth, that we got some time before we can tackle some of that. And I don't claim to be at all the expert in understanding how plan design is done at the employer level or how the, I'm sure there's actuaries behind the scene that decide how they, the, the plan costs and designs go back to whether you pay this much for yourself, Albert, and this much for your family. And that's yeah. something that we need to unbundle. We need to bring transparency. And I think we're coming at it from a different part of the spectrum to give radical transparency in the experiences that members are experiencing today. And in the future, if that extends into how insurance plans are designed, I think that's great for the overall industry. And I hope we, we get there soon.
2: No, that's true. I mean, I I like how you have that focus. Like, let's bring it back. Okay. Pharmacy, diagnostics, telehealth, still plenty of opportunity to make this process significantly better. Let me ask you a question. Of these different areas, right? Pharmacies, diagnostic labs, how many doctors as a percentage do you think are using telehealth or making telehealth available? Like by percentage? Do you have an idea?
1: I don't have an exact stat today, but I can tell you this. We're on the heels of, or the backdrop of a a global pandemic. And I think- every doctor and physician and provider and hospital system has switched to a telehealth first approach in the last nine months. And what, I, what we like to say is if you as a provider or a patient experienced telehealth for the very first time in the last nine months, are you going to go back to the old way it was done?
2: No, I, which brings me to my story.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, tell me, tell me. Yeah, you've been holding that from the beginning. Tell me what
2: happened. So this is embarrassing, but at the same time, this is going to happen to, unfortunately, for a lot of people. So I had tremendous pain in my uh, lower abdomen, I was like very concerned. I had no clue what was going on, but I remember going on telehealth because I tried to like self-diagnose myself and they told me, you can't, you have to go get a. I mean, I'll just say it. I thought I had UTI, urinary tract infection. Then the telehealth doctor said, I can't help you. I have, you have to go get a test. You have to get, but at least that was still helpful. They said, you have to go get a test to see if you have the bacteria infection. If you don't, you probably have a kidney stone. So then I had to run over to a lab Final lab, they took the test. They said you don't have a bacteria, there's no bacteria, you probably have a kidney stone, but you're also I had a lot of urinary blood. So they sent me to another place where I had to go get a CAT scan. So this is like a lot of movements. I'm now moving, right? And I go to the ER because it's the only place. It was a Sunday at night. It was Sunday night. So no one else has a CAT scan. And I'm like freaking out because you know, blood's coming out, I'm hurting, right? <laughs> and then they said, uh, you don't, I do all these scans and it turns out I don't, I have a kidney stone, right. Into which they told me that there is no medicine. <laughs> they, they, they offered me, they offered me uh, just painkiller, which I ultimately didn't take, but I don't know if my process could have been smoother, I've, if, but it felt terrible during going, going, going through it. Cause it seemed like very time constrained. Like I always felt like I was waiting was this process. Like it started at five. I didn't find out that I had could do nothing about it to like, I want to say, like, it was like 12 at night when I, I found out that just go home and suck it up.
1: And not to mention, you're in a lot of pain through this whole process. So I think um, there's a lot of steps in there that you described that I'm glad you gave me this example. And it's a real one is that we can talk about all the steps that we can take out. And I think it brings up another really good point that telehealth and the promise of digital health is, is not here to replace traditional healthcare. There is a purpose and a need for our emergency room providers and, and settings where you may need that emergency CAT scan. And when you look at your specific experience, you look at something like a UTI test or UTI lab test. This is one of the most common tests prescribed at your home. And and you think about, I'll give you another concept here. When you think about today, we have medicine cabinets at home where you have your Tylenol or your Advil, your OTC products. What does the world look like when maybe you have some of your, your lab tests at home as well for whether it's yeah. UTI tests and STI tests, for example, and maybe even medication based on a result of that, right? If you knew you had an ETI, UTI and the test positive, we know what the standard of care and we know what the treatment protocol is for that. So why don't we have that in our home today, maybe in a secure fashion where we can consult with a doctor over telehealth and take it as soon as we have those onset of symptoms or the positive lab test result. Now, look, in your case, if that UTI test that you had at your home, that would have saved the, the pain of having to go into that lab test, get the lab test, wait for the result, while you're in pain and get this done really quickly at home. There are in fact, even rapid UTI tests that can tell you answers within 15 minutes in your home that could have ruled that out. So you can move to that next stage in the triage process through your, through your provider, for example. So I think there's always opportunities to, to cut out a lot of steps that when you're going through that, that kind of distress, you don't want to be dealing with extra steps and inefficiencies. You want to get to that answer of being a kidney stone and what that treatment protocol is as quickly as possible. And I think digital health gives you a chance to maybe bridge that gap in a world where today you have to go out of the house and get into a lab. And, you know, you, you described all these extra steps that you don't need.
2: Well, you know, what's interesting is to go back to the first part. You, so you asked, you know, to anyone who has ex- experienced telehealth, will they ever consider going back? And I think to myself, you know, before I got on that telehealth call, the reality was that I called a lot of places and they were all closed. And so that's why I chose to the telehealth because I was like, I need to talk to someone because something's wrong with me, but I don't know what it is. And to your point, I was able to get someone to see me within an hour, which is still a long time, but that's way better than waiting days to like make a phone call to see if my primary care physician even can see me or whatever. So I, I agree with you. The, the fact that from one source of input, like you know, me making a request, I'm now choosing between Thousands of doctors, or thousands of doctors, are actively bidding on working with me. In the amount of time that I was, that you know, if I think about like a doctor's office, they don't really spend that much time with you anyway. They only talk to you for like let's say ten minutes. Most of your day is spent waiting around. So like you know, talk to the person. They're immediately able to say like you know if it's this it's this if it's that it's that you need to go get this test. That's going to tell you the answer. Even though it, my process may not have been able to be avoided or like all those steps had to go through. To your original question. Now that I've experienced it, I'm, I would never, that's always going to be my first choice. I'll always choose telehealth first. I can't see myself doing it the other way.
1: That makes total sense. And I think we, what we like to say at TruePill is there's no limitation for how much of healthcare can, can start on a telehealth setting. Um, we describe it as 80% of healthcare should be done in a virtual or digital setting. And when you combine all these different pieces that, that make this a reality or make this possible, you can see how many steps you can cut out in your own personal experience until you need the absolute moment where you have to get in to see a provider for that CAT scan, for example, which today you can't do at your home. Um, We just want to get all that triage steps done as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I think all of that could be done uh, over a digital setting.
2: There you go. Sid, it's time for the lightning round. Okay. All right. All right. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Customer 360 Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Sid, this is where we ask you rapid fire questions to get to know you better. All right. You ready? Let's do it. Sid, what do you do to take care of your own health?
1: I try to work out six to seven days a week, uh, first thing in the morning. And I've been doing that for four years.
2: I'm not going to lie, man. I'm looking at the company page. You look jacked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you look like a beast. You look very fit. Uh, like no, your no. arms are nice and swollen, your dress shirt, your, yeah, you, you're looking like you got that fitness going right. What do you it, do? Right? buy
1: a couple of sizes smaller than what you need. It helps.
2: <laughs> what do you like to do for workouts? Do you do functional fitness? Are you a runner? What do you like to do?
1: You know, I'm getting older now and I'm trying to do a whole mix of things. I have a two year old son now. And so you need to be, you know, squatting or kneeling down all the time. So I'm trying to mix up a whole bunch of things between, Weights and, and functional fitness. Try to do sports, but but COVID has kind of messed that up. So I try to mix it up with a whole bunch of things. Yeah, you.
2: Where are you currently in San Francisco, or ha- have you moved yourself someplace else since shelter in place?
1: I live in I live in San Francisco with my wife and son and my in laws.
2: There you go. What is a favorite getaway you like to do away from San Francisco?
1: Favorite getaway. Let's see. We haven't done that many getaways, but if I had to pick one, it would be. Uh, going to see my brother-in-law and his kids in Denver. And that's, it's great for, for my son to get to play with his cousins.
2: Denver's a very outdoorsy place too.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: What's your uh, favorite restaurant? Favorite restaurant right now. It goes, it changes week to week Oren's hummus. hummus. Gotcha. As a child of immigrants, how often you miss your mom's cooking? Almost
1: every day, but I'm rewarded by the fact that I live with my mother-in-law, so I get her cooking every day. And, and hopefully, my mom doesn't hear this podcast. But uh, <laughs> I get to, yeah, I get to have her
2: her food every day. When you're not working on technology, what do you like to do?
1: Spend time with my son. Uh, try to get something physical, something fitness related in, and
2: spend time with my family. When you're working out, do you listen to music or podcasts? You know, more podcasts and now audiobooks. Do you have any recommendations from something you've heard recently? You
1: know, one of my favorite books this year has been a book called Loon Shots. It, it goes back in time and describes some of the, the founding moments in technology and history from the, the first invention of radar to um, statins in the, in the pharmaceutical space, for example. And I, I highly recommend that. Loon Shots.
2: Loon Shots. L-O-O-N Shots. I'm writing that down because that, that sounds fascinating to me. I lo- always love hearing origin stories. What's the best advice you have for a first-time technologist going into developing applications or web services or any type of technology service in the healthcare industry?
1: I would say spend a lot of time thinking about founder market fit. You'll find so much stuff out there on on product market fit and how to chase this elusive concept of product market fit, but go back to the basics of, of founder market fit. And when you peel back All the layers of TruePill over the last four years or so, you end up with a software engineer and a pharmacist. And so that leads you to writing software and API and and building a pharmacy. And that was really the origin story for our business. So I highly recommend spending a lot of time thinking about that founder market fit upfront when you get started with your journey.
2: Wise words. Sid, thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you for sharing the story and origin of TruePill. I personally am very much invested in your success. I, don't, I mean, not with money, but I want you to succeed because I think this industry needs help, all the help it can get. Sid, thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Albert, thank you so much for having me. This was a, a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at Salesforce.com platform.